Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, let's thank Barrett. She was amazing. (laughs) Oh, man, the big question is, what does that have to do with Easter, though? Childlike, plain, silly, fun, not in church, right? Does your faith have room for that? We celebrate this Easter that he is alive. Jesus is alive. Death is been defeated, conquered, and he wants us to grow up and become fully alive. In fact, he wants us to become childlike. You have a program when you walked in, it looks like this. The core passage this morning comes from the New Testament. Eugene Peterson paraphrased the New Testament, and these are his words from Matthew, or not from Matthew, from Romans chapter 8. Let me read these for us. This is so, so good. Because here's before I even read, here's what I want you to hear. That this whole Easter thing is intent in God's heart is that you and I would grow up and become freed up. Freedom. He wants us to be freed up, not locked up. Some of us are locked up in fear about what other people think. It's kind of hard for me to do that video. I'm like, what are people going to think? But there is a kind of freedom that God invites us into where we're no longer thinking about ourselves, but we're living beyond ourselves to care about and love well and live generously for others. And Easter is really about this freedom, a childlikeness where we're freed up and not stuck up like, oh, I'm better than you. Oh, I go to church and I think I'm, I'm all right and you're all wrong. That's not the message of the good news of the gospel. Let me read for you this passage, Romans chapter 8. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life. Wait, what? The creator God wants to move into your life, to take up residency in your life. He wants to live in you. That's what it says. He'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive, fully alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, that's what he wants to do. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, look at this phrase, you are delivered. That means you're set free. From what? From that dead life. What dead life? Some of you know exactly what that means this morning. Something inside of you has died. You're in a marriage that feels like it's dying. You're in a career, a job. Maybe you have a friendship that just, it feels like it's dying or it's, it's even dead. And Easter 
speaks to that dead life. Let me read it again. You are delivered. You are set free from that dead life. And then he goes on to write, with his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. The resurrection life that you receive from God, it's not a, a, a timid, grave-tending life. So then what is it? What is this Christian life? What is this adventure of the spirit, spirituality? Here's what it is. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God, and I might add, each morning with a childlike, what's next, Papa? What's next, Papa? Now, I want you to notice that last line. A childlike, what's next, Papa? That speaks to relationship. And that's what Easter really is shouting to us. God wants to have relationship with us. Father, Heavenly Father, Son and daughters. You are a child of God. And He wants us to live dependent on him, expecting him to move and live in us and shape us and help us become better at living life, to become the best versions of ourselves, to live a bigger and a better story that, that we become people, every one of us here right now, we become better at loving well and living generously. Don't you want to become that? I want to be known for, for, for loving well. When I get to the end of my life, he loved well, and he, and he was generous. He lived beyond himself. He lived generously. That's God's dream for your life and my life. What's next? What's next, Papa? There's this leaning into life. God, I'm on an adventure with you. Who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to touch, to bless, to encourage? Who do you want me to notice? Who do you want me to help? In Mark chapter 10, Jesus presses deeper into this theme of childlikeness. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Really? And then he says, I tell you the truth. I don't know if there are any truth seekers in this room this morning, but Jesus says, I, I'm not lying. I'm going to tell you something that's true. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads. And what did he do? He, he blessed them. Receiving the kingdom of God, receiving God's love, God's forgiveness, God's favor, God's blessing, God's smile. We have to receive it. And isn't it weird as we grow up, it's harder to receive. Children are able to receive, actually are even eager to receive. And something happens in us. We get scarred. We get wounded. We go through relationships that, that sting and we get guarded and we distance ourselves and we build walls around ourselves and we become skeptical and we don't receive. Jesus said, we are to receive the kingdom like a child. 
And then in another gospel, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. Listen to these words. Just He keeps driving home this point. I tell you the truth. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. What? You must change and become like little children. Otherwise, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to just soak in that. For some of us this morning, that's a new thought. Becoming like little children, becoming childlike. So here's what I want you to think about this morning. I want you to think about Easter in kind of a new way, in a fresh way. What if this story, what if it's true? What if Jesus is not lying? What if he said about himself is actually true, that he's God? What if God went on a rescue mission for the human race, that he sent Christ into the world? That's what the story teaches. What if it's true that he actually lived among us and then he suffered and he died on a cross and then defeated death three days later The stone rolled away, and he rose again. What if that's true? What are the implications of that? And what if it's true the reason he did that was because he's crazy about you? He loves you with an unfailing, irresistible love that he's never going to give up on you, no matter what you've done or said or where you were last night or last week and your secret life. No matter that, he says, I love you as you are and not for who you want to become. I love you right here, right now, where you are. Are you willing to receive that? What if that's true? That's the message of Easter. But you know what's interesting? I think for so many of us, we think, well, if that's true, and one of the reasons we resist it is we look at people of faith, and we go, well, okay, wait, here's the picture. If I receive the kingdom of God, it's not about becoming childlike. It's actually more like becoming American Gothic, like that painting in the Chicago Art Institute. I think we have a picture of it. That's our image. That's what it means to grow up and mature as a Christian. You become more harsh, more hypocritical, more judgmental, more homophobic. You suck at friendship. And, you know, that's what all the research says. All the books that are out there that research people that don't go to church, they go, I don't want to go to church because people of faith... They're hypocritical, they're judgmental, they're homophobic, and they suck at friendship. Oh, great. What a great reputation we have. And some of us, we resist this loving, gracious, merciful God who's so patient with us, who's tender and gentle. We resist him not because of who he is, but we're blinded because we think the picture of a mature, grown-up Christian faith is I get to become like these folks. Oh, whoops-de-doo. In fact, you know, my grandparents, they've passed away now, Harold and Merle. They live to be 199. But my grandmother once told me, she said, the actual people in this piece of art were related to them. (laughs) The Irelands are related to those people. Oh, great. I got a lot to overcome. 
So, but that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not to grow up and look like that and behave like that and be all condemning and critical and judgmental and getting in other people's business and become sin patrol, self-appointed sin patrol. I'm going to just get everybody and make sure they're, you know, behave the right way. It's not what the Bible teaches. So what does it teach? What did Jesus mean? Become like little children. Become childlike. I want you to notice there's a nuance. He didn't say become childish. And there's a difference between becoming childlike and becoming childish. Childishness, that's when we scream when we don't get our way. That's when we have to be the center of attention. It's all about me, 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 me. That's when we go out after church and there's five donut holes left and we grab all five and put them in our pocket just for me. Some of you are going, oh, dang it, that's my kid, man. I got to talk to him. So what does it mean? That's just in these brief moments that I have to speak to you this morning. What does it mean to become like a child? Jesus said, unless we change and become like children, we're not going to experience his kingdom, his rule, his reign, him ambushing us in a way with his love, smothering us with his goodness and, and, and love. So here are three little reflections. Becoming like a child. Children... They are open and they're trusting. Frederick Beekner, he's an author that I enjoy. He describes childlike faith this way. Children are open. They're trusting. You know, adults, we think we know it all. We get older, what happens? We become actually less curious, more closed-minded. We can't learn from some people or other people. We kind of think we know everything there is to be known. And when Christian people think they know everything, that's called pride and arrogance. And Scripture says, God opposes the proud. I don't want God opposing me. And so this childlikeness is about staying open and curious and not thinking I'm better than you and I know it all. But children are open, and they're trusting. If I said to a five-year-old, hey, outside, under that tree, under the dirt, there's a rock out there, and under there, there's a hidden treasure. What would that five-year-old do? They'd run out there, and they'd look, because they're curious, and they're seeking, and they're open. We'd be like, yeah, right, sure, you know. And Jesus says, stay open. So let me ask you, are you spiritually open? Are you open to the possibility that Easter, it's actually true, that, that, that Jesus was a historical person who came, lived, who died on a cross, who rose again on the third day as the scripture teaches. Are you open at all? to that possibility? Are you open this morning to the possibility that there is a God and your life matters to him? That he sees you 
right where you are this morning, and he knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your struggles. He knows your fears, and he cares about them, and he loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Are you open to that? And now maybe the harder question, if not, why not? If, if you're resistant, if you're sitting like this, all locked up, why? What's going on? Did the church beat you up as a kid? Did you have a negative experience in a strict religious household? You put your time in as a kid or as a teenager, and you were scarred, maybe. I don't know. Why would we be resistant to love? This is a book about love. Jesus said, love God, love each other. That's it. Whatever else you've heard is a lie, by the way. This is a message of love. Are you open? And then children are trusting. They, they trust their parents, don't they? Little kids, they trust their parents. I want you to think about, just close your eyes just for a moment. You're five years old. You're in your bedroom. You hear sirens outside. You wake up and it's scary. You're afraid. And your father walks into your bedroom. He wakes you up and he, he says, come on, follow me. And he reaches out his hand. Would you grab his hand? Hey, just come on. We got to get out to safety. And he's going to lead you into and through the darkness of your house. Would you reach out and grab his hand, open your eyes? That's a question for all of us. We have a heavenly father, the Bible says, who reaches down to us. Are we gonna reach up and grab that hand and trust him? Is, is he trustworthy? Some of you are reaching out and grabbing worry and stress and success and whatever it is. And our Heavenly Father says this Easter to you, let go of that and grab my hand. You can trust me. Are you open? You can trust me. My little Shannon, who's no longer little, she's married now. When she was in kindergarten, I have a photo of her, her first day of kindergarten. I got to walk her to school into Cleveland Elementary School here. And I remember, you know, you reach down and go, come on, I'll take you in. And there were some nerves, right? First day of school. She reached up and she grabbed my hand and she let me lead her. That's such a picture of faith. That's faith. I trust you, Daddy. I feel safe with you, Dad, Papa. And I wonder this morning if that might be a metaphor that somebody in this room needs to, to hear, to discover, to rediscover that God loves you and he's trustworthy. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He won't let you down. That's what scripture teaches. And he's reaching out to you. And in faith, you get to decide. He doesn't force himself on you. God never pressures or forces himself on us. He just extends a hand and we get to choose. Am I gonna grab his hand this Easter and say, yeah, yes, Papa, yes, Dad, yes, Heavenly Father, I'm going to follow you. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower, a Christian, a person of faith. Here's a second reflection. Children, they're not only open and trusting, they're also, you ready for this? Joyful 
and playful. Wait, you can't say that word playful in church. Religious people aren't playful, are they? I don't know. I'm not religious. It's about relationship. This isn't about religion. This is about having a relationship with the living God. And here's what, just as a leader in the church, you know what bugs me? You know what hurts me? You know what, what grieves my soul? I just say, how is it possible for a follower of Jesus to grow up, to mature, and become so abrasive, so petty, so judgmental, so arrogant, I'm better than you. Some of you know that's been your experience. How is that possible? That is not what Jesus came to teach us and model for us. In fact, quite, it's quite the opposite. I wonder if maybe that's what it looks like for you when you think about it. That's why I, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to know God and be, because, because I don't want to become that way. I want you to hear me this morning. That is not God's dream for your life. He has a better story for you. He wants you to become childlike, joyful, and playful. When did you stop cannonballing into the swimming pool or a lake? When did you stop running through the sprinklers? When did you stop jumping off of rope swings, sleeping under the stars, sitting around a campfire and making s'mores with your friends? Who told you to grow up? Who punished you for playing? I love the story. One of, one of the books that has shaped this message is a book, Dangerous Wonder by Mike Iaconelli. Amazing, great book. And I'm paraphrasing a story that he tells in this book. But it's, it's the story that we don't see in the Gospels, but it's there somewhere. It's the story of the Apostle John, the one who said Jesus loved him the most. And here the disciples are gathered on the banks of the Jordan River. They're around a campfire together. These guys are buddies. And their sticks are over the fire and they're making s'mores. And John kind of, just in a sly way, walks over to the table where there's a bowl of marshmallows and he grabs one fires it and hits Peter in the back of the head. Peter doesn't even see it. Like, what, what, what just happened? But Bartholomew, one of the other disciples, saw what happened. And over next to him, he pulled out a marshmallow. And he went, whoosh. And he tagged Matthew. And now Bedlam breaks loose. And all of a sudden, people are throwing marshmallows. All of a sudden, Peter wants to get back at John. He goes over. He dips his in the Hershey's chocolate. It's all wet. Fires it at, at John. And you know what John does? He sees it and he ducks. And guess who's standing behind him? Jesus. And that chocolate-covered marshmallow hits the son of God between the eyes. The disciples are scared, spitless. They're frozen. 
One of them whispers, you knucklehead, you just hit Jesus with a marshmallow. They don't know what Jesus is going to do. They're scared in that moment. I'm not sure why, but Jesus has his coffee cup. He reaches into his coffee cup. I don't know how, but he reaches into his coffee cup and pulls out a marshmallow. That's because he's Jesus. <laughs> and without anybody looking, he takes aim and he fires it at Peter. And Peter's like, and it just goes right in his mouth. All the disciples start laughing hysterically. And so does Jesus. Do you know that Jesus would have been kicked out of most churches? You think I'm kidding. He was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton because he liked to have a good time. He was full of joy and playfulness. Is there room in your gospel, in your faith, to play, to laugh, to have fun, but not at other people's expenses, in a playful, warm way where people feel loved and you become carefree. There's a quote by Mike Iaconelli. I want you to sit in this quote. Play is an expression of God's presence in the world. What? Play is an expression of God's presence in the world. One clear sign of God's absence in society is the absence of what? Playfulness and laughter. Easter is the invitation to you. Not to play it safe. Not to play it cool. But to cannonball into life to slide headfirst into home plate, laughing, coming home to God with joy and celebration. That's the message of Easter, not somber, serious. Some of you right now are like, dude, this is sacrilegious, this Easter service. Some of you are more religious than God himself. <laughs> and I'm serious about that. Let me get to the last point. The last reflection is that children are filled with awe and wonder. Awe and wonder. Children, if you've been around them, they are caught up in the wonder of a full moon, aren't they? You take them out under the stars and they're shooting stars, it's like, whoa! There's this wonder, there's this awe, there's a kind of fresh celebration. And then you grow up and you mature and you go, oh, yeah, no. That electrical storm, I should have thrown a slide up. Remember that electrical storm in Santa Barbara a month or two ago? And there were people, my daughter is, let's go out, come on, dad, let's go see the storm. I'm like, nah, I'm tired, I'm staying. That's what happens to us. The next morning, I'm seeing these amazing photos, and I'm like, yeah. Is that what happens when you get old and mature? You become boring? Childlikeness. 
You lean in to life. You stare at a full moon. You sleep under the stars and you say, wow, God is real. And it's not just a full moon. What about a two-year-old, little Levi here? Look at this expression on his face. A little water coming out of a spigot. Now, some of you are going, oh my gosh, his jeans are getting wet. <laughs> no, you're missing the point. He's full of joy. He's carefree. He's not locked up in fear. What, what are other people going to think or say? He's in the moment, not just at the moment. He's in it, fully embracing, fully feeling his life, that cold water on his feet. That's wonder. That's awe. And I got more slides. What about, uh, gosh, a snow-capped mountain? How many of you would say, I actually experience God most out in nature? Raise your hand and look around the room. Out in nature. More and more people say, oh, it's out in nature. That's, that's fantastic. Snow-capped mountains. And then what about a sunrise right here in our own backyard? Right here, in our, no excuse. When was the last time you got up at 5.30 and said, I'm going to go down and I am going to experience the sunrise? Some of you are like, no way. I'm just telling you, you're, you're missing the magnificence of God speaking to you. Margaret Feinberg has written a book. It's called Wonderstruck. I'm reading it right now. It's just, it's really rocking me. It's so good. Wonderstruck, Margaret Feinberg. I got a couple of quotes from this book I want to read for you. The first one's not on the screen. If God spoke creation into existence, should we be surprised when creation speaks back to us about God. If God, some of you are going, well, God didn't speak. You know, it takes faith, by the way, to believe the big, big Bang Theory. It takes faith. We don't know. And it takes faith to believe that God spoke creation into. You have to decide what, what it takes faith. But what if it's true that God spoke creation into existence should you and I be surprised when creation, you're out in nature, and you are alert to the presence of God? You're like, there's something bigger you're realizing than yourself in this life. God uses creation to alert us to his presence. A week ago, I was on a bike ride up in Los Olivos, wine country, springtime. The rolling green, very green hills, wildflowers, those yellow, oh, amazing. It was a beautiful and spectacular ride, and I was with a group of friends, and got to a point in the ride where I was grinding, just head down, I'm tired, I'm like, this sucks. You ever been there? And Jamie Lasea was biking right next to me, and she said, John, don't miss the magnificence of what 
surrounds us right now. Look up, she said. Look up. Look over there. It just made me think, I wonder if there's some of us right now, right here this morning, your life, you're grinding. Your head's down. You're missing. Your children growing up. You're missing the magnificence of friendship and love that God has surrounded you with, the people that God has put in your life that deeply love you and care about you. You're missing it. Your head's down. You're grinding. And you don't take time to get up at 5.30 in the morning and experience a sunrise or a full moon at night because your head's down and you're grinding and you're going to get to the end of your life with your head down and you're grinding and someday and someday and someday. The invitation of Easter is to look up, to be grateful, to notice the beauty around you, the blessing around you. Margaret Feinberg, another quote from this book, here's what she writes. Creation awakens me to God. The sky, the land, the vegetation, the animals, they all speak to the power, the majesty, and the goodness of God. They remind us of God's presence in the world. I want you to have that experience this Easter. To look up. To give yourself a break from the grind. And even as I'm speaking, somebody like, you don't know my life, dude. I'm on call. You don't know my life. I know pastors that say that. I'm on call 24-7. What if someone dies? What if someone gets sick? You know what? There's other people that can love them too. And there's other people that can respond to that call. If you live your life with that, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, you're missing out on your purpose and on the people right around you and the gifts of creation and beauty around you. Here's the last scripture that I want to read for you. Paul who was an apostle in Romans chapter 1. And everywhere in this two verses, sometimes I like to read scripture this way, where the word they or there is, I want you to put your name or you, and I'm going to read it that way. You know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to you. Really? How? Verse 20, for since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, you can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So you have no excuse for not knowing God. These words are not a judgment. They're an invitation. These words are not a judgment on you. They're an invitation for you to know love, to know the living God whose love is irresistible, whose love is scandalous, whose love never runs out and never gives up on you. It's an extravagant love. And it doesn't make sense. But you're invited this Easter to receive it like a little child. That's why he came this Easter. If it's true that he came and lived and died and rose again, 
He did it all for you and for me. Love, genuine, real, authentic love sacrifices. And that's the message of Easter. I want to close with the passage we started with. It's on your program. I want you to soak in this. I'm going to read it again as we close. Romans chapter 8. I'm praying that the word of God does the work of God in your heart as I read these. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, and he wants to do that right here, right now, but you have to receive it. He'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered. You're set free from that dead life of fear, of stressed out, out of control, greedy, whatever it is, it's dead. And even as I'm speaking, some of you know what that deadness feels like. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. The resurrection life you receive, there's that word, from God, you have to receive it. He's not going to force it on you. It's not a timid, grave-tending life like some of us think it might be. So what is it? What is this faith life that you're invited into this Easter? What's it say? It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God every day with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Maybe some of you have never called God your Papa, your Father in heaven. And maybe this Easter you, you want to do that. And you just do that by just in a spiritual way, just grabbing his hand. Just, Lord, I don't even know how to do it, but I'm going to reach up and grab your hand and trust you. I'm open to that this Easter. So I'm going to close and I'm going to call the band up. I don't know if you missed it, but in Mark's gospel, verse 16, it says this, Jesus took the children into his arms, and, and what did he do? Listen to this. He placed his hands on them, on their heads, and he blessed them. He blessed them. Did you know that God wants to bless you? He wants to bless you. You don't have to be afraid of him. He wants to bless you by loving you, by speaking truth over you. So many of us, we believe lies about ourselves. We're not enough. We've never been enough. We're not worth it. Our parents or friends or others never, have never sacrificed for us. We don't, we don't feel worth it. And those are lies. You are worth it, and you are enough. And so this morning, we're going to sing three songs. The first one is extravagant. And it's about the love of God that doesn't make sense. It's, it's just profound. It's amazing. And we're going to have prayer leaders that are going to be up here. And we're going to invite you to stand as we sing these songs. And during these songs, we want to live out this verse that says, become like little children, and, and then Jesus touched them. Not in a creepy way. We're going we're gonna to put our hands on your shoulders or on your head without messing up your Easter hairdo.
and we want to bless you. But you have to receive that. You have to be willing to get out of your chair and come down forward and let us pray a blessing over you. We have leaders that are going to be all up front. Just come and let us bless you. And let's sing together. Let's stand up together. And if you're not willing to come for a blessing, I mean, it's none of my business, but I would just ask you to ask yourself, why, what's holding me back? Why would I resist being reminded that, that my life matters and that I'm deeply loved? So when you're ready, let's sing loud and let's come forward and receive a blessing from God this morning. Happy Easter. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.